Hello. How are you guys? Good. Uh, so good to see everybody, man. This is uh, Church of the Bird at the Dell, which is a little bit harder to say, but um, it's, it's so good that you guys came out on this beautiful day. We enjoyed, doing, we enjoyed doing this so much last year and the year before we decided to do it again, and we were shooting for a warmer weather day, so I think we mostly got it, but uh, glad you guys are out here, and uh, I hope, one big hope I have is that if you came here today and you don't know anybody, that by the time you leave today, you'll have made some connections. Uh, I see a lot of people come in, they kind of sit by themselves, and it's like, man, you got to look around. There are people around you. All of them are cool people. I've met almost all of them, and uh, uh, some really good folks, so... Make sure that when we dismiss here, you meet some people around you where there's going to be food and stuff, so hopefully you'll get some uh, great connections in your time here. All of my stuff keeps breaking, um, and I don't mean my body, although that's partially true. Uh, all of my stuff, so like the air conditioning in my house has broken twice in the last month, um, and, and then... Uh, the dishwasher in our house broke, and then our car has broken, and I'm taking it in this week for the third time in the last month, uh, my car. Now, my car, I got to tell you about my car. My car is a 2004 Toyota Sienna. It is the definition of, like, the swagger wagon uh, that my car is, and it, um, and it has, like, 216,000 miles on it. So when I say it broke three times in the last month, that's probably why, uh, because it's old and busted. And, and as I was looking at my old and busted car... I started contemplating what, what it would be like to be, get a new car, because a lot of you have new cars, and I've, and I've ridden in the car with other people who have new cars, and they're awesome. Like, I get in people's cars, and I'm like, look at this dashboard. Like, it can, it can send texts for you. It has a GPS built in. It has that little camera built in, so you don't hit the people behind you. Like, all of those features that are just kind of like standard in cars now, they weren't doing it in 2004. So my car has a cassette player. It's pretty cool. It, it doesn't work, but it, I have one because my kids shoved some quarters in it like when they were five. So it doesn't work. Um, it also has a CD player. You know CDs are like these discs people used to use and they put them in. Like, it's great, I guess, if we had CDs, uh, a collection, we could listen to them in the car. So uh, the car's old and busted. And when I imagined getting a new car, I started getting really excited. I thought, you know what? If I got a new car, it would make me so happy. I would be so happy if I got a new car because it would be all clean and it not jacked up for my children yet. Um, it, would, it would run well. It would be reliable. Like all the things you imagine a new car will be. And maybe some of you have one. You go, yes, actually, Chris, it's just like that. But I'm sitting there going, I'm sitting there going, I will be so happy if I get a new car. But here's the truth. A new car actually won't make me happy. Because it's, it's a money thing and money can't buy happiness. Now, money can buy an Escalade, which might be close to happiness, uh, but it, it, doesn't really, it doesn't really buy happiness. I, I think it would make me happy if I got a new car, but that, that doesn't actually happen. Studies show that money does not buy happiness. Benjamin Franklin years ago said it this way, money never made a man happy, nor will it. There is nothing in its nature to produce happiness. The more of it one has, the more one wants. That sounds a lot like money's more closely connected to what we talked about a couple weeks ago, which is dopamine, this chemical in your brain. The more you have of it, the more you want. Um, and, and so I, I don't think money or stuff is going to make us happy. We're going to have to look elsewhere. So in this series that we've been doing at our church, and if you're new here today, you're jumping in, that's fine. You, you'll, you'll catch on to this really quick. 
But in this series, we've been talking about the pursuit of happiness. Because all of us are on a quest for happiness. All of us desire to be happy. A lot of the decisions that you make in your life will be made because you are pursuing happiness. If you go back and look at the greatest contributions that you've made in your life in career and, and, and family and other things, uh, there's a good chance that you are doing those things in part so that you could be happy. And also, if you look at the greatest failures of your life, where areas where you've blown it, uh, the times that you did something really stupid, you probably did the stupid thing because you thought it would make you happy, right? We all have those stories. Oh, I got in that car thinking that would make me happy. I, I dated that person thinking that would make me happy. I took that job thinking it would make me happy. And, and it didn't. Some of the worst decisions we've made were made when we were pursuing our own happiness. So what does make us happy? Well, four things. And we talked about one of them last week, the idea of community, that we need to be connected to one another. Connection helps build happiness in the brain. And today I wanna to talk about another idea, and it's contribution and how contribution affects happiness. Winston Churchill said this, we make a living by what we get, we make a life by what we give. Leo Tolstoy said it this way, the sole meaning of life is to serve humanity. And if you look on the back of your program, there's a Chinese saying that I posted on there. Do you, you have it? It says, if you want happiness for an hour, Take a nap. If you want happiness for a day, go fishing. If you want happiness for a year, inherit a fortune. Like, that's easy. Um, if you want happiness for a lifetime, help somebody. If you want happiness for a lifetime, help someone. Serve someone. Um, there's, there's definitely something to that, that, that if we're going to be happy, we need to look outside of ourselves. And our culture will tell us other things. Our culture will say, our culture will say, you need to look inside yourself to find your happiness. Go to your, your place of, of happiness, and we'll talk a little bit about that idea next week. But our culture is going to push us inward. And what this is saying, and what, what Scripture says, and what history has taught us, is that happiness can be found when we are serving and reaching out to other people. So the church um, has always been an outward-facing movement. If you look at how the church was, hey guys, you doing all right? Cool. Good. All right. Have a good day. Bye. They were just checking out the sermon. They went in front row seats, I guess. The church, from the day it was born thousands of years ago, has been an outward-facing movement. If you look at the history of the church, which is written about in the New Testament book of Acts, and we looked at it a little bit last week, people came together, and uh, Peter, a, a guy, he stood up and preached in Jerusalem. And on that very day, thousands of people decided to become a follower of Jesus. They, they pursued him, they were baptized into him, and the church was born. It went from a couple dozen people to a few thousand people, basically overnight. Now, there's probably a lot of logistic issues that go along with that, if you think about it, how difficult it would be to manage thousands of people. But they were getting together, they were reading, they were praying, they were serving, they were being a community together and, 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 and working together. And that church wasn't just an inward-focused, holy huddle, it was an outward-focused community where they served people um, who, who weren't just in their community. In fact, Acts chapter four, let me read it to you. It's in the program that you have there. I, I, we printed it out for you. Acts four, listen to what this early church was doing because it's pretty cool. Start with verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were given were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. I think the details of that are pretty striking. Here's the early church, here's what they're doing. They are selling their stuff 
and taking the money and they're contributing it to the church and they're redistributing it to people who, who are in need. And so they're taking care of people who are in need all over the community. Now to us, that sounds bizarre. That's very not American, right? Oh, we're gonna sell our stuff and then redistribution. That sounds like some sort of socialist kind of thing. But that's what they were doing. That's where, that's where their energy was, was, was reaching out to people who are needy and they were pooling their money and liquidating their stuff and giving. And they were, they were doing that, maybe you've heard that phrase, live simply so others may simply live. That's kind of what they were doing. They were trying to simplify their own lives and live simply so that other people could, could get by. Why did they do it? Well, I think the reason they did it is because the grace of God had changed their life. When God gets a hold of you and you see how good he has been to you, you wanna flow that out to other people. You realize, okay, God's done something for me and I want, and I want to reach others and, and help others. When, you are, uh, when God's grace gets a hold of you, you become more quick to forgive. You become more quick to be uh, generous um, because you realize all that you have comes from God. You're just a steward of it. I've seen this in this church. Now, I haven't seen like a, a bunch of people liquidating property and giving the money to the church, but there, has, there actually has been some of that over the last nine years of this church. There's people who have sold things and they've given the money to the church to help other people. I have seen people be generous all over this community throughout the last nine years in really cool ways. I saw a whole group of people in this church pool their resources to pay someone else's legal bills. I've seen people pooling their money to pay someone's water bill. I've seen generosity flow out of this church where people are giving and strategically and regularly we are giving to people in need all over the Richmond community. It's 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 pretty powerful to see how this still goes on today. Actually, seven years ago, my oldest son uh, spent about 10 days in the hospital. And I don't know if you've checked lately, but hospital visits are pretty expensive, you know, per day. Um, and so we, were, we, we had him there in the hospital, and, um, and I'll never forget this. After church one Sunday, and we had just found out that he, that he had a problem, we, that we were gonna be in the hospital for a while. And uh, after church on Sunday, this guy comes up to me at the church, here, and, well, at the bird, and he says, um, hey, uh, I know you got a lot of medical bills because of what you're going through with your son. He said, um, I want you to give them all to me. My wife and I want to pay all of them. And I'm not a crier, but I welled up a little bit right there. I was like, wow. Um, and and, and there's, just, there's just some incredible people in this community that are generous. I don't think our church naturally draws generous people. I don't think it's like there's some cut above the regular population. I think our church draws regular people, rich and poor, young and old. Um, but they recognize, I think a lot of people here recognize that God has done something in your life. And when God does something, you flow that out to other people. When God has been generous to you, you're generous to others. Um, we recognize the grace of God and how he works in our lives and we wanna pay that, we wanna pay that forward. The early Christians in the book of Acts, they were generous to people in need. Uh, this kind of continued throughout history up until today. In the year 1182, a guy named Giovanni di Pietro di Bernardon uh, was born. And he lived in Italy. He went by the name Francesco. And Francesco was a wealthy dude. His father was wealthy, so he grows up a wealthy dude, and he kind of hits young adulthood, and he kind of parties hard. He gets really into the music of the day, the troubadours, so he's really, like, into the music. Uh, he dresses really well. He's, like, living the party life uh, as, as a young adult and just kind of doing the thing and all the pleasures that money buy, right? Francesco's doing that. 
And then he decides to go on a military raid with some buddies. I don't know, I guess that's just a thing people do for fun. So he goes on a military raid and they get captured and he gets imprisoned for a year. Well, while he's in prison, this is in 1202, while he's in prison, Francesco has an encounter where he meets Jesus and he decides to give his life to Jesus. And then he takes a pilgrimage to Rome and on the road to Rome, he has a vision of Jesus and he commits on that day to spend the rest of his life loving and serving people in need. He goes back to his hometown and he starts opening up all, all, this, all this community service and he starts working and serving everybody in the community. He gathers a bunch of people around who give away and sell all of their stuff and they give all the money to serve the poor. Um, he actually founds uh, monastic orders, so groups of monks that all do this same sort of thing. Um, and, and really this guy Francesco, because God changed his life, is one of the most influential figures in all of Western history. You'd know him as St. Francis of Assisi. And it's powerful how God got a hold of a life and what happens. Let me tell you about another guy. In 1750, a guy was born named William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce was in England, and he grew up, and he went to Cambridge, and then he uh, was in Parliament. He was a pretty wealthy dude in London, and he got into Parliament, and Sometime around 1785, he met a guy named John Newton. You may have heard of John Newton because John Newton is a former slave owner in, in England who himself became a follower of Jesus. John Newton becomes a minister, and he ends up writing a song that you all know, Amazing Grace. So John Newton writes Amazing Grace, but John Newton meets William Wilberforce, tells him about Jesus. William Wilberforce gives his life to Christ in 1785 and then spends the rest of his life trying to abolish the slave trade in England. So in 1789, he introduces the first bill into the House of Parliament to abolish slavery in England, a full 100 years or so before we're doing it in this country. So he's there trying to abolish the slave trade. He thinks it's evil because of his faith in Jesus. So he introduces a bill in 1789. He gets shot down. He introduces 13 more bills. And, and just every year he's introducing this legislation and saying, as a country, we can't, we can't be trading in slaves. We have to stop doing this. And then finally, in the year um, 1807, uh, he, he, passes a, he gets a, a bill passed that gives emancipation to slaves in the British West Indies. And, um, but, but not given full legal status. And so it is many years later that the Abolition of Slavery Act passes in 1833 when there's full emancipation for slaves in England, all because William Wilberforce gave his life to that cause. William Wilberforce introduced legislation in Parliament, and it took 44 years before slavery was abolished in England. 44 years he kept at it. And after the, the bill passed in 1833, Wilberforce dies three days later. He gives his entire life to the abolition of slavery. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of who he's following. Wilberforce and a bunch of other wealthy folks in London formed a group called the Clapham Sect, and they were people who were leveraging their money to serve and love and, and, and the poor and abolished slavery and they were working on all sorts of things. They were nicknamed the saints in London and they were, it was a powerful thing that God was doing through the life of these people. Um, God moves people in that way and I think he still does today. From the very beginning, we have seen people see it as their role to be generous because God has been generous to, to them, to be generous with time and to be generous with money. Now at Area 10, some things have happened just this year. How many of you were there uh, the first Saturday in January when we packaged up 40,000 meals for generosity feeds once you were there. Yeah, yeah, okay. So that was super fun. We raised in December, as a church, we raised $40,000 
and we were able to purchase and package 40,000 meals with about 780 volunteers showing up on a Saturday in January to, to package meals that were gonna be distributed through schools and other uh, distribution channels throughout the whole greater Richmond area. And it was really, really cool to see. And let me tell you something. We, we knew we needed to raise $40,000, and as of December 19th, we had only raised 20. And me, of little faith, I was like, this isn't gonna work. Like, we, we have to have 40,000, and we don't have it. And then 12 days later, by the end of the year, we had more money than, than we needed to get the project done. And God was faithful, and you guys generously gave to see that thing happen. And then several months later in March, we did a Rise Richmond project where 320 of you served at 23 different projects all over the city, and we poured hundreds and hundreds of, of hours of service into our community where we worked with our community partners. And it was a really uh, powerful thing to see how the generosity flows out, how we contribute to others because God has given to us, because God has been generous to us. In addition to that, ever since Area 10 started, we've been involved in Vietnam. And I want you to hear a little bit about Vietnam today. Uh, I, I wanna bring up here Kayla Craddock. Kayla, you can come on out. Kayla, woot woot. Kayla gets a woot. Um, come on over. Hi. Hello. Uh, Kayla went to uh, Vietnam last year and is leading the team to Vietnam this year in June, starts June 15th, right? Mm -hmm. It's when you guys leave. Uh, and, and so I wanna talk to you a little bit about that. Why go back this year? You went last year, it's far away, it's expensive, it's time consuming, you gotta take time off work and all that kind of stuff. What, what did you experience there that made you wanna go back? Well, it's also very hot. It's hot too, Very super hot. hot. Yeah, Virginia humidity prepares you well. It's a sweaty place. Yeah, it is, it's, um, yeah. but why go back? So. It's something to be known, and I feel like if we don't go back, um, you know, every year, the kids won't know that feeling. I think we all, you know, we have our families and friends here, and, um, you know, we're part of this church, and we're known. And so for us to go back and make sure those kids have that experience, and even the families that we do meet and encounter, and the staff and people that work there, it's very important for them to have that connection, and um, every year's different. The kids are different, you're different, and it's, why not go back? Yeah, okay, why not? Yeah, okay. Uh, well, the, the, the place that our team has been going is to the SS3 Orphanage, which is on the outskirts of Hanoi, Vietnam. And then you take those kids, end up taking a, a trip with them down to the beach. What kind of impact are you seeing there in the orphanage with the kids through the work that we're doing? Sure, so, um, so this will be my third trip. And just from the first trip to last year's trip, so within a year, just a year, um, God grew so big. Um, we were able to pray with the kids over meals, and it was them asking us to pray. So my first trip over, I didn't really know what to expect because the government is, you know, very different there, and Christianity is not really the thing. So <clears throat> it's very PC, and you have to follow all the rules. So didn't really know what to expect. So to have that experience and just that fear and not knowing what to do and what to share, and then in one year's time to go back and pray with the kids over meals, they're singing songs about Jesus. Another group has came in. Um, they learned the five love languages, so letting them know what love is. What does it mean to be loved? What does it mean to give love? And that, again, is just in one year's time. So to think of everything else that's happening, I mean, it has happened for others who've gone on the trip. I think it's just a testament to our service there. Super cool, super cool. So this whole series is about uh, happiness. Uh, where have you seen this connected to your own happiness? Okay, you're serving others, but how has it kind of done something inside of you? 
Yeah, so I mean, getting on a 14-hour flight is a lot. Um, so not only is your body changing physiologically, um, you're just you're, you're not yourself, um, but you're opening yourself up to so many new experiences. Um, so my first trip there, I can only say that I was just overwhelmed. And so one of the songs we sing here, you know, I'm overwhelmed, and it, I, that's it. I was overwhelmed with joy, and I'd never really felt a joy like that in that way. And it was the first night when we were at the beach and we were um, dancing with all the kids, and I just. It was just joy. Um, so for me, it's really been about learning how to, and I'm saying this for Mana, I see you over there, feelings, um, to learn how to share feelings, to feel, to know that it's okay to be joyful. It's okay to be sad. You have trouble sharing feelings? Yes. Yes, you're my I people. Do. Yes. yes, all right, I do. good. Just Anyone keep else? them in, Holla? keep them in, okay. you know. Yeah. But it's something to share it and to see and and really see God in other people too. So I think for me, it's also knowing him more by seeing other people and looking at how my gifts are best shared and displayed in this new country and culture. Okay. Well, we have said all along that it, although maybe a dozen people go to Vietnam on the trip, uh, the reality is our whole church is going in, in one way or another. So can you tell us more about that? What are some real tangible ways that we can all be involved in the Vietnam trip this year? Sure. Um, so lots of things you guys can do. Number one, pray. Um, so we have a few more weeks of planning and just preparation. So pray for um, just that all the logistics would get covered, but pray for us and just that when we go, we are fully present there, I think is one of the biggest things. Um, also, we take things with us. Everything that we do, we take. So if you're interested in, like, well, what do you guys need? We'll be happy to tell you what we need, a lot of games and things like that. Um, next Sunday, and then even today, we'll have a chance to talk a, a bit about how can we make sure that the kids get to go. So right now, we've been fundraising a lot as our team, but we need to make sure that the kids get to go. So you can sponsor a child, and so that would cover their cost for going to the beach. So You guys got, everyone got a card when you, when you came in in your program, and it says, it's got a picture and it says how to help, and there's some ways to jump in. We have to raise like 6,000, yeah, I think. Yeah, about 6,000. So everybody, and, and you guys have been awesome about this in years past, of like jumping in and saying, oh, I'll, I'll help a kid for $100 go to camp or $50 or whatever. That would be, that'd be great. Yes, and the pictures, those are the kids that we will see this year. So those aren't just like something we made up. Those are the real kids, and mm. so excited. And if you want to know how to say their names, we'll help you. <laughs> That's always a thing. All right. Well, thank you so much for spending the time and sharing that whole vision with us. So cool. Thank well, thank Kayla. Yeah. Here's the reality, guys. Not everybody's going to go to Vietnam. Like, it's far, it's expensive, it's difficult to do. There will be some that go, um, and that'll be the right step for some people. But not everybody's going to be able to do that. But all of us can serve others, and we can start in a very local context. You don't have to go across the world. Maybe you could go across your street. Maybe we could just start there. There's so many great ways that you can plug in and get involved here in the community um, that, that I, it would be, it would be uh, incredible to see, to see you to jump in and, and serve and, and flow with generosity. Let me, bring, let me bring all this back and then we're done here. Let me, let me wrap this up with this idea of happiness. Um, because I, I do believe contribution and serving others helps bring us happiness. Uh, writer Christian Smith, researcher, he wrote a book called The Paradox of Generosity, and, he, and here's what he found just by surveys and studies that they did. Generous people are happier, uh, they are healthier, uh, they have less illnesses, they have greater purpose, they suffer from less depression, 
Um, in the subtitle of his book, it's, it says, Giving we see, we receive, grasping we lose. King Solomon found this same idea of, of what benefit it is to serve others, and he writes about it in Proverbs chapter 11. I just want to read it to you to kind of close out here. Uh, he says this in 11, uh, verse 24 and 25. He says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers once. Whoever, listen to this, whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. When you're generous to others, you will be blessed. That's what scripture promises. There will be some sort of happiness that comes along when you're willing to pour into other people, when you invest in others. When you water others, it says, I don't even know what that means, you yourself will be watered. And you're like, I don't even know if I want to be watered. But uh, there's a blessing that comes from God when we are generous to others. I don't know how it works, but I do know that it's true. And I do know that you'll never regret being generous. There's not a one of you who packaged up meals on the first Saturday in January who think that that was just a big waste of time, right? You don't regret being generous. You regret stupid purchases, but you don't regret being generous. And so uh, I, I want you to have the opportunity here uh, today when, when, we, when we're done. We're going to uh, wrap up in a few minutes. We're gonna take communion. We're gonna sing together, and then we'll close out. Um, along the front of this, of this area here on, on this there are um, signs here that represent different areas that we serve. So one of them is Vietnam. You can come talk to the Vietnam team. There's gonna be people wearing black Love Compels shirts like what Kayla was wearing. You'll have people, there'll be people down here you can come talk to. Come and ask them about Vietnam. Have them tell you a story, learn about it. Or you could, you could come down here and learn about serving it in the church community here. What are ways that you could plug in and get to know some other folks and serve here at the, in the body? And then there are four different areas within the city of Richmond that we serve. Foster care and adoption, um, education, vulnerable communities, neighboring. And there will be people up here representing all those areas. And so when we, when we dismiss here, we're going to get lunch and that kind of thing, and then come talk to the people that are down here in the black shirts and ask them about their experience and ask them and learn maybe some ways that you could get involved. It would, be, it would just be a huge, you know, we can come out here to the Dogwood Dell and go, okay, it's nice, it was a good day, it was sunny, it was good to see some people in sunlight instead of in a dark theater. Um, but the real win would be if, if people who, who uh, at this point have been hesitant to step up and serve in one of these places would step up and say, I'm gonna do it. Uh, I'm in, whether it's supporting the Vietnam team or working with a community partner or even serving within, within the body of Christ here in the church. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I, I thank you that uh, you have empowered believers to be generous throughout history from the birth of the church in Acts chapter two through all sorts of different people uh, throughout history, and you are still doing your work, even in Richmond, even at Area 10, even this church and other churches here in town that are doing great work to serve this city. And I pray um, that you help anyone who's maybe hesitant to step up, who's hesitant to get involved because they're afraid of the time commitment or any of that kind of stuff. I pray that they'll come forward and say, okay, I wanna, I wanna get to know some folks and I wanna, I wanna serve and, and be involved. Uh, God, take the, take the fear out and help us to trust you more with, uh, with, the time, with, the, with the time and the energy and the money and the, the resources that we have. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.